Now, from the Mousecapade Studios, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, Mousecapade listeners. This is Vicki, and I'm here with Kaylee. We pray that you're all staying safe, happy, and healthy. This is episode 675, and you're listening to the number one podcast that entertains that space between your ears, the Mousecapades podcast. Before we get started, we'd like to remind you that the Mousecapades podcast is part of the Your Story Travel Company. At Your Story Travel Company, we can plan a magical trip for you on just about any budget. It only takes a $200 refundable deposit to hold your reservation. Text me for a free quote at 636 395-0544. So we did recently a history of the Halloween parties, and I thought it would be interesting to see how the whole Christmas party thing got started at Disney World. So today we're going to hit up on that. The fact that Christmas is celebrated at the parks really comes as no surprise. It was preconceived years ago when a young boy, Walter Elias Disney, who we know as Walt Disney, uh, even before the animation bug had bit him. Walt was a product of traditional Midwestern family values and strong religious upbringing. As you know, the the major part of his young childhood was in Marceline, Missouri, which is about three hours from us. Um, His father, Elias, who sometimes filled in as a preacher at their local church in Chicago, and his mom, Flora, were God-fearing folks, and they believed in hard work and strong family values. And so Walt and his siblings were always taught the value of family and God, And of course, with that comes Christmas. So when Walt opened Disneyland, when it came into fruition complete, the Christmas celebration was just natural for Walt. It just was in his mind that it was gonna be an addition to the parks when or if that happened. And obviously it did. Now, like everything else in the Disney company, the history of Christmas at Disneyland is interesting because We all know now that every theme park does some sort of holiday festivities or they do something. But again, Disneyland was one of the first corporations to ever have a theme park-esque. That was like the first theme park. So um, it really has an interesting backstory. It's one of the first to have like a really big themed Christmas history, I guess you can say. So it also has a bit of magic in it, as does everything Disney does, or that Walt touched at least. The first year the park opened, that December in 1955, a group of 12 Dickens Christmas carolers from the University of Southern California performed all throughout the park. So that would be pretty cool to be one of those people or just say like, that was my grandpa. I say Disney, yeah. Um, This group was under the direction of Dr. Charles Hurt, that was the chairman of choral music at the University of Southern California. This became so popular that guest choirs were invited to perform on the Main Street Bandstand, now located to the Magnolia Park area by the Jungle Cruise. Dr. Hurt recalled that the opening of this holiday tradition, the carolers and a chorus consisting of 300 members made up of visiting choirs stood on the Main Street train station steps, singing and accompanied by visiting school bands. These performances led up to the creation of Disneyland's most cherished tradition, the candlelight processional. So kind of sounds like that was just the bare bones and then it built on itself out of sheer popularity. I love that because I didn't know that they used a local college for 
Disneyland or for their Christmas or that's how it got started. And to know that this is one thing that still happens at Disney World, I don't know for sure about Disneyland, but I'm assuming because that was where it started, that they still have magical musical days. So that says to me that music was equally as important to Walt. I mean, I guess we could kind of assume that too, because the movies always have music and you know, it's so important to him or it was so important to him when he was alive, making sure and all the details that he went to, to make the music go along with the storyline and stuff. So very cool. And I was lucky enough to be one of those colleges that sang at Disney World when I was in college. So cool that it started way, way back in 1955 when my mother was three years old. <laughs> So when Christmas time came, 1956, the event was given the moniker, the Christmas Bowl, or that was the official recognition of it, kind of like we think of Super Bowl, only it was the Christmas Bowl, and it was placed over the entrance of the Magnolia Park Bandstand. Again, they had the director, Hurt, come, and he was accompanied by the Disneyland band, carolers, and singers that comprised talent from eight choirs that continued to perform on Main Street Station Bandstand. The event, of course, grew larger with choirs following the Christmas Around the World Parade, which debuted at Disneyland in 1956 and ran all the way through to 1964. It was then replaced by the Fantasy on Parade until 1976, beginning from the Sleeping Beauty Castle, and then it would end at the plaza for the actual performance. So the parade would start and then take you to this candlelight processional. This parade included holiday festooned ethnic dance and choral groups. However, due to the growing size of the crowds, the original plan to perform in a circle in the center of the plaza became impossible. And so they had to improvise and they performed around the Disneyland band so that more guests could actually view these festivities. And that is a downside to Disneyland because they don't have a lot of space where Disney World has a little bit more flexibility with that. Yeah, it's just, I wonder what kind of crowds they were initially thinking of because they realized in 1955, it was well received. So then what, I wonder what numbers they were projecting in their head. Like when they were preparing it, what were they thinking? Like, ah, oh, maybe a hundred people, like, so, yeah, when we did the history, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it, but when we did the history, Dad and I, about the Halloween parties, they never foresaw what that was going to become. Because at that time, Halloween was considered a dark holiday, and a lot of people didn't think of it in the same way as they do now. It was kind of considered a demon night. And so that was really the only thing they had to base it off of was anything that was going on there. And I don't think that they realized how big it, it, it was going to become. Like, I think that Walt was more popular and more people liked him and respected him than he even imagined in his mind after he created Snow White, Steamboat Willie, and all those things, because all that stuff was already out. Silly Symphonies and all that stuff was out and his name was stamped with it. So um, I think it was hard for them to project back then. Not like now, Kaylee, because you know, we have park reservations, so they don't have to project. They know exact. Jeez, crazy. Well, that transitions into the story behind the first candlelight processional, the official one. Now, supposedly, a piece 
which is unpublished, on the history of Disney Entertainment by former executive vice president of Walt Disney Entertainment, that's Ron Logan, this document says that one day in 1958, Walt purportedly remarked to his friend Charles Hurt, we need Christmas carolers at Disneyland. Can't we have a choir assembled at the hub of Main Street by the railroad station in Town Square? Have them sing to guests there, and I'll listen from my office over the fire station. Thus, the celebrated tradition of the candlelight processional began. Now, there's no confirmation or written proof that that is actually factual. It could be true. So much of the history of the Disney company is lost to the mists of time and everything gets blurred, especially because now I feel like it's hard to blur things because there's so much social media and you can record almost everybody has the power to record things, audio, video recording, but either way, the idea became a reality and it's still happening. Which I'm glad that it's still happening because it's one of my favorite things, but I'll talk more about that later. So then one of the oldest traditions at Disneyland, all the Walt Disney cast members can contend for a place in the choir, which means they had to try out, which I understand, but that kind of go. I feel like to me, Walt would have accepted anybody, but I'm realizing that they're, he's using the director from a college and so they don't want to look bad. I mean, I, I'm assuming that's why they had to do it. I guess they, I guess the whole idea is that anybody can sing with them but to be in the choir they are the ones leading and they have the disney name on them true if they're going to be the main street carolers just like we know now i mean obviously we've talked about this in many past episodes but disney had like the really the really strict cast member requirements about beards and tattoos and all this other stuff and now obviously those things are getting more lenient but if you're if you got the Disney brand on you somewhere, like you got to be good at what you're doing. And I, this is a different time, but I mean, I get it. I'm a music person. I wouldn't want to put somebody in. And I even teach children, and I understand the fact that there's a time for them to experience, but there's also a time for okay, you're not ready yet. <laughs> I get it. So they want him to march down Main Street the processional part and then once they got there they would step on the Christmas tree risers so that the whole choir looks like a lighted Christmas tree which I there's been every opportunity for most people to have seen one of these a singing Christmas tree in their lifetime then there's a chosen narrator that would tell the story of Christmas and they would accompany as such by singing classes classic Christmas carols when the processional began, the living Christmas tree would, was staged by the Western High School Choir of Anaheim. After the retirement of that school's music director, Walt decided to design the duties to a cast member choir. So initially they were called the Disney Employee Choir, so guests would not confuse the term cast member. Walt also did not want the cast volunteers to be confused with Disneyland's entertainment division, I guess for what reasons that you said, Kaylee. The first candlelight processional was actually held on December 1958, but when the carolers rounded the flagpole in the town square, Disney realized this was gonna be challenging for guests to be able to see. And since Dr. Hurt from the university was conducting, he had to be in the center. They solved the problem by constructing bleachers adjacent to the train station. Now the carolers were facing the guests straight on at Main Street. That just sounds, I mean, I'm getting stressed preparing yeah. my students' performance and I have 16 of them. And it's for like 50 people, maybe. <laughs> this just sounds like a lot of stress. Yep, more stress than you need. 
That can be your dream later, Kaylee. You can plan one of the candlelight processionals at Disney World. Only if Bob Paycheck is gone. Okay, <laughs> kind of throw that in there. Now, the largest choir to perform at the processional was on December 22nd, 1959. This choir consisted of 2,574 singers. That is a large number for that time period and for Disneyland at all, because right. Disneyland, again, is smaller. The first processional to perform on a stage in front of the Main Street train station was in 1961. That's also the year that celebrity narrators started coming in. The first was actor Dennis Morgan, who actually continued yearly until 1964. And then in 1965, Disney legend Dick Van Dyke assumed the duties. That would have been Aww, awesome yes. to be able to see him. And then to help endorse the new film, Mary Poppins. That's also why they did it. Genius. Yep. Dennis Morgan narrated again in 1966. Now, other notable narrators included Cary Grant, Rock Hudson, John Wayne, Buddy Ebsen, Pat Boone, James Earl Jones, and many more. Those are some amazing actors of their time. Yeah, they got good voices. I mean, James Earl Jones still around. The other ones, I believe, are Pat Boone might still be around, but the other ones have gone on. The one person I would love to hear Morgan Freeman do a candlelight processional. Yeah. That man's voice is nice. Perfect. Yeah. So now we know when that started. It's been going on for a while now, 1961. Um, yeah, that's 60 years. I kind of wish there was more history on how that started. Like if that was within the Disney Corporation, if that was an idea, like what if we brought in celebrities to do this? Or if like celebrities approached them being like, could we narrate that? Like, could we do that? Maybe. So in 1971, when Walt Disney World opened, the processional began performances at the train station on Main Street. I can't even imagine that today. Goodness. Both Disneyland and Walt Disney World's programs were identical and continued with great success. Dr. Hurt helped marshal the Walt Disney World performance and as such staggered his role with composer Jim Christensen in California. The ceremony performed two nights every weekend and a couple shows a night. In 1993, Walt Disney World moved the processional to Epcot, which I think was a brilliant idea, adding nights over the years as guests yearned for more performances. So eventually this procession ran for 15 nights with two shows per night. This panned out so successfully that in 1994, Disney performed the processional for 30 nights, two shows each evening. There was even a different choir each night, which there would need to be because that amount of singing, even for being a prepared musician, is a lot it's yeah it's exhausting i mean it would be a lot for a an orchestra member less alone person singing i know just even even teaching sometimes i think like am i not singing well enough like am i not singing right it's like no i am just when you sing for that much like five days in a row and i'm singing with half my classes like the younger ones Right. That's like three hours a day. That's a lot. That's a lot on a voice. Now, Disneyland tried to perform the show in the Fantasyland Theater in 1998, but it eventually returned on Main Street. In 2012, the processional ran for 20 nights, December 1st through the 20th. However, in 2013, Disneyland reverted to its original format of two nights and two shows per night. Heading up the processional in Disneyland, Jim Christensen was the former director of the University of Wisconsin Marching Band. 
an experienced arranger and conductor for the television and radio commercials, and he also ministered with the West Point Band as staff arranger and trombonist. Wow. If you don't know West Point, they are Top on notch. point. On point, for sure. Talk about auditioning. Yeah, they. you gotta be good. You gotta be well, well-bred to do that. According to Jim, over the years, there had been slight adjustments in the script narrations and some subtle musical selections. However, most guests would not perceive the changes, fundamentally because the program remained the same for years. To ensure uniformity of the arrangements, Christensen handled both aspects for Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Christensen stated in 1978, what we've done is to add a more professional look to it most remarkable when asked the most requested songs of the disneyland band was the marine hymn and the mickey mouse march of course would there be any doubt not at all the marine hymn i feel like not many people know that anymore so today the the candlelight processional still enthralls guests with its message of peace and hope and the story of christmas and the birth of jesus and with its music and pageantry it is going to continue for years to come um it was actually very sad to me that it had to be canceled last year because I feel like it's such an integral part to Disney. And now we realize the historical part of it and the foundation coming from Walt and his upbringing. So that is why so many guests actually plan their Christmas vacations and getaways and head for Disney to celebrate the magical time of the year at the most magical place on earth. So here are some of the celebrities that will be narrating at Disney World's Epcot. This is for this year, and it's specifically Disney World in Florida. Ali'i Cravalho, she is the voice of Moana. Chita Rivera, that's, she's best known as Anita from West Side Story. Jody Benson, voice of Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Alton Fitzgerald White, that's Mufasa in The Lion King on Broadway. Bart Millard, leader of Mercy Me. Lisa Ling from The View. Andy Garcia from When a Man Loves a Woman, Anna Gasteyer, I believe I said her last name right, maybe even her first one. It has one N, so I said Anna. Yes. From The Goldbergs, Courtney B. Vance from Law and Order, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Christian singer, Blair Underwood from LA Law, and Pat Sajak, host of Wheel of Fortune. So Wednesday on the Rumors and News show, we announced that Sterling K. Brown would be the celebrity narrator at Disneyland this year. None other have been announced at this point, uh, although they don't have nearly as many days as we do um, for the Candlelight Processional at Disney World. The, these celebrities are the ones that narrate the Christmas story at the Main Street train station while the Candlelight Mass Choir is singing the beautiful holiday songs that we talked about. And the Candlelight Procession has been in place since 1958, as we mentioned before. Kaylee mentioned some of these famous people that were there, Cary Grant, John Wayne, Dick Van Dyke, but recently Gary Sinise, Kurt Russell, John Voight, Gina Davis, and Chris Hemsworth are just some of the celebrities that do the narration in Disneyland today. So Disneyland sets up seats. This is so different, Kaylee, than Florida. I thought this was interesting. They set up seats for this candlelight processional, which are reserved and they're for invited guests. These invited guests are typically Disneyland VIPs, such as Club 33 members, the media, and high profile Disneyland guests. I hate that. I know. Again, it's not what it is supposed to be anymore. Like, 
I would understand if it would be reserved because Disneyland has less space. Right. But it should be more like concert tickets where it's like, this is the time it opens. You just try to reserve a spot. Right. And if you get it, you get it. Like, like we have to do. Now, if I would understand if they had like a section of the seats that were reserved for the guests they just mentioned, Club 33, media, high profile, but like making it only for those people, that frustrates me. Because again, you are weeding out the entire lower middle class, which is literally the opposite of what Walt created everything for. I know. Blah, Bob. Always got to be Bob's. Can we all well, just agree in my generation, we're not allowed to name our kid Bob anymore. Our pastor would not be fond of you saying that. Okay, no more Roberts or Boberts. No more. <laughs> what a good, I, I love Pastor Bob, but what good ever came from a CEO named Bob? I don't know. I have seen nothing so far. Ugh, listeners, just thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Okay. <laughs> Disney has gotten a lot of questions about how to get seats for the candlelight processional at Disneyland. That's actually our reason for recording this, but the unfortunate reality is that if you don't already know how to get seats, you cannot get them. How dumb. I thought you were going to say, how rude. Uh, <laughs> there are no dinner packages, no standby line for regular guests, no ticket lottery, nor any means of becoming an invited guest. And because of this, Disneyland does not publicize the event. There are typically not posts on the park's blog, social media, or elsewhere until after the event. And that's why the info on Disneyland's candlelight processional is so scarce. So I wonder why the Sterling K. Brown thing leaked then. I don't know. Anybody could have leaked that, but it, they probably wanted to get the high-end people involved that if they got an invitation, they'd want to be, maybe they'd have some draw to go. But it's just so frustrating to me because it's all, again, it's all about faces. I've had this talk with dad on walks where I find it interesting because it almost seems backwards for Disney, but I feel like nanny's generation, like my great grandma, and even grandma's generation, it was all about like making face, like what you looked like, what you had, you had to show off. And now our generation's like, oh, do you like this? It was $3. Like we like to show off our bargains and everything. And nobody like- I was always up for a good bargain. No, I know. That's why I said grandma and nanny's generation was all very much like hide your flaws, showy well my son did this well my daughter did this right blah 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 and i've never understood that and i feel like present day disney is becoming that and i'm like can we get out of that yeah you're not doing yourself any favors you trying to get famous people in disney you don't need that publicity you're disney world like walt has already done all the legwork for you you're just milking the money off of the dead man at this point so like why are you ruining everything just stop right. you're gonna make money so to me it just is frustrating that they're changing everything because they're like we got to keep it fresh we got to keep it moving because that's what walt said and i'm like well i'm pretty sure walt would not want you literally eliminating his entire reasoning for creating everything just to continue moving forward as he said i totally think you hit the nail on the head though when you said that the ceos are just like the leaders of walt disney have come to be like jack frost in santa claus 3 where they've they're not even like walt loved to go into the parks 
and see the faces and see the families. And I'm not saying that they never go in the parks, but do you think they went in the parks as much as Walt did or met with people and not that anybody's gonna want their autograph, but he autographed things for people. He took pictures with people. He was a real person. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have any faults. I'm sure if we dug far enough down, we could find faults. But I'm just saying, we just need to go back to the purity that was Walt and his ideas of what the park should be. Because the candlelight processional to me is very important because I grew up with the candlelight service at church. And if I'm there at Christmas, it's like being at church. At Disney, I mean, how can you get any better? You get to worship and be at Disney World at the same time. Yeah, I agree with you. I can't recall a time that I've like heard of the other CEOs being in the park other than for business. And now I'm sure they have been, but the difference is, and now I get part of this is the technology gap that didn't, like the technology didn't exist when Walt was around, but like, you would probably only hear about that by word of mouth or just be like, yeah, I saw him walking around or like riding this today or doing this, blah, blah, blah. Where like, I feel that CEOs today would make a point to be like, look at me letting this person on this ride. Look at me giving these people free food. Look at me, do like it's all about look at me, look at me. Where I'm like, I think Walt just was there to enjoy his own creation and people, he happened to be famous because he was the creator. So then he'd be like, well, okay, I'll sign your autographs. I'll take, I'll take my picture. I just loved that he isn't, he wanted something for his own family, but he wanted it for other people's families. And he, and that's how it is for, for me on the end of planning trips for people to Disney. I honestly get enjoyment planning it and then watching the, the clients live it out or my friends, whoever I'm doing the trip for family, watching them do the trips and seeing their pictures. That gives me almost as much enjoyment as me being in the park. I love hearing their voices and seeing their faces. And I don't know. And I feel like that's how Walt was. Like he just loved seeing the joy on people's faces from something that, you know, came to him in a dream maybe. I don't know when it came to him, but he just sitting there in that park that one day on the park bench while his kids were, I believe, riding a carousel and just, you know, came up with this idea. I've got to think of a vacation for families to go and be together and enjoy things together. And so for me, I think that that's where I kind of feel like an ancestor of Walt when I get to help plan a trip and, and then hearing about it from the people when they get back. Keeping the tradition alive. Somebody has to do that. I'm so sad. I wish that the Disney family was able to still be a part of their own corporation. That's a whole other podcast about all the, how they were kind of like pushed out. Um, but let's end on a nice note. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to go to Candlelight Processional, obviously it's going to have to be at Disney World unless you are somebody that's in Club 33. And if you are, God bless you and I'm happy for you. Um, but do it is all I'm saying. Yes, you might have to wait in a long line. If you're lucky enough, you might get a dinner package at Disney World, although they sold out pretty quickly because I tried to get one and they were sold within hours. Um, but sometimes people cancel, so you can always you know, check in and, and try to get one of those. But you will be blessed by it is all I'm saying. Unless you literally hate music, which I don't know a lot of people that do, especially if they're gonna go to Disney because they know they're gonna hear music. 
So that's my two cents on the candlelight processionals. Thank you, Kaylee, for helping me bring the history of Christmas at Disney and how it all got started. It makes me respect uh, Walt even more after, after researching for this and reading all the information that I did. A few final reminders before we sign off. If you're interested in being a guest on our show or you have a question or a comment, you can email us at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com or text us at 636-395-0544. If you would like to book a trip or you just want a free quote, text me at 636-395-0544. You can make a reservation for a $200 refundable deposit. So if you're even thinking about it and then you have to change your dates later, we can do that. It's very, very flexible and that is one thing that I love about Disney. You can check us out on our social media accounts, yourstorytravel.com, our Facebook page, The Mousecapades Podcast, or on our TikTok account, Your Story Travel. Be sure to listen to Wednesday's show as we dish the latest rumors and news and chat with the gang. As always, thanks for listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears, The Mousecapades Podcast. Well, Kaylee, I think it's about that time. Disney love. And pixie dust. Have a magical day, my friends. 